little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson. We are here today at the A Million Drops Learning Center, sitting here with William Jackson from Shelter All Koreatown. How are you, William? I'm doing well, doing very well. Thank you. It's great to have you here. So you've been volunteering with Shelter All Koreatown for a while, yeah? Yes. Do you want to tell me about what you all do? Yes. So Shelter for All Koreatown formed as a counter protest to those who were against the building of the homeless shelter at 682 South Vermont. And in short, to get to what we do, we are an outreach group. We're not an organization. We're not a nonprofit. You know, we're just a group of neighbors in Koreatown who reach out to those who are, you could say, less fortunate, but those who are living in undesirable conditions, in this particular case, homelessness. And we do everything we can to help from getting them food, Um, And water, especially when it's very hot outside, getting them cold water um, to clothing items, backpacks um, and other various needs, including things such as hygiene. Mm -hmm. So um, in short, um, that is what we do. We're neighbors um, who come together in Koreatown to help the homeless in Koreatown with uh, whatever means we have. And you all do this. um, I've been noticing it's about once a week Yeah, that you all go out intentionally and do this work. Yes. Yes. We meet about once a week. Um, It was on Sundays over at Piper's um, off of Western and Beverly. Uh, That's where we were meeting uh, when it was owned by James. Um, We were for a time we were receiving um, some donations from a place in downtown And so we would pick up a bunch of food from them and bring it over to Piper's. And we would actually utilize their kitchen space for putting together um, sandwiches, for example, um, peanut butter and jelly, uh, bologna, things of Mm -hmm. that nature. And also to collect all the various food and donations we may have received or even bought ourselves. And we would deviate up amongst ourselves, let's say maybe like four cars deep. And um, we would just place it all into various cars, divide ourselves into groups, making sure that we had those who were, let's say, veterans of the outreach at that point lead certain groups when we had a lot of people who were new or had heard about us and came to join us. And then we would spread out throughout Koreatown, uh, basically dividing it up into sectors and would engage in the various um, encampments. Or in some cases, some of the homeless people who were not in encampments, they were kind of like solo, taking note of them and just coming back around, meeting them and just dispensing of the goods that we had to these various encampments and individuals. Yeah, I remember my first, uh, the only time I've actually had an opportunity to participate with the group. I had a very moving conversation with some folks in a tent about mental health and what that would look like to have mental health services. Yes, come right directly to where they're at yes like at their tent or at their encampment and what that looks like for them right yes that would be extremely useful you know i mean some of the some of the mental health just comes from them knowing that someone cares about them 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just seeing someone come out there, spending their time and energy, acknowledging their existence. That's mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing that you're not some uh, creature considered a creature just living on the sidewalk in a tent, Mm -hmm. you know, some undesirable. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And having folks that actually um, acknowledge you as a human being, as as someone with a soul and spirit and and sees the greatness uh, that resides within them, potentially, you see. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's part of mental health. Now, we're not psychiatrists. No, but it is medicine to people's mind, to their psychology, to see someone, a total stranger, arrive at their place and to offer them nourishment. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind of mental health in and of itself. Yeah. And just the listening right just yes. the just the listening just like the hi how are you today like how's your day getting along i remember talking with the folks about like are they experiencing any harassment from like mm-hmm. na- their neighbors yes. or law enforcement or things like that and just just the opportunity cuz that was how we got into the whole conversation about mental health was me just asking you know this tent that everybody else was kind of we were all kind of just taking a different tent and i was like yes. well let me go to this one and lady pops her head out of the tent with the two guys that were sitting there and we just she and i had this really amazing amazing conversation about what that would look like to bring folks out onto the street mental health professionals rather than expecting these folks to get to an office a provider's office somewhere but actually having the mental health professional actually come and just do emotional support listening because that's basically what i was just doing with her right yes i was just listening i was just listening to her story i was just hearing her I remember everybody from the group that was with us that day gathered around and I just knelt down with her and listened and just was there and held her hand. Yeah. Well, she just wanted to be heard for her situation. Yo, I mean, just pay attention to some of the things that you hear people screaming, right? Some of the homeless folks or just anyone that you, you see is clearly suffering mental illness and listen to some of the words that they use. use, listen to some of the conversations that they're having with themselves or some imaginary entity, whatever it may be. And it's clear that when you listen to their rant, quote unquote, they're trying to express some type of frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, many of them, not all of them, but I've noticed that many of them are having these conversations that they couldn't have with somebody or they wanted to have with someone or is a conversation that may have taken place that is repeating over and over. There's this frustration. And it, it's interesting to see how many, how many times this person or these people may have had just no one to talk to, mm-hmm. right? Like they were the only ones that they could go to when they were going through their trials and tribulations. And so having only themselves to go to in times of trouble and frustration, inevitably, it seems like it kind of led to this overflow to where the conversations that they were having in their head about various matters and subjects that were causing them so much problems eventually started actually coming out verbally. Mm -hmm. You see? And you see that in some of the... The dialogue um, you hear 
uh, coming out of these individuals who are, you know, raving. So it's like, how much of that could have been prevented if they just had someone to share their problems with? Mm -hmm. You see, you know, yeah, it's just it's interesting, you know, these observations. Yeah, absolutely. So why is it that um, cerebrally we could talk a lot about why we would both do this work, but why, what calls you to do this work? What calls you to be present with folks who are surviving and experiencing homelessness? Mm-hmm. So um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this and I'm involved in it is because I was homeless myself. You know, I was homeless for four years. I know what it's like. You know, I know what's happening. I know what's going on. I know the obstacles. I know the trials and tribulations, but I also know the potential as well. I also know what can be achieved. I would go out and do outreach solo by -hmm. myself, but that's also how I was raised to help the homeless. And then ironically, I myself became Mm -hmm. one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was when, when I came into contact with Shelter for All Koreatown before they were even a group, you know, when it was just like two, three people you know, protesting, uh, or who started the protest. It wasn't two, three people protesting, but who initiated. I was like, this is an opportunity to help the homeless, to help those in my community on a whole other level. Mm -hmm. You know, like finally, I get to be able to be a part of something and to do something that benefits others, that benefits these beings long-term, i.e. through getting permanent housing. Mm Mm-hmm. And part of that through the establishment of these um, of these shelters around L.A. and specifically in Koreatown. So I could finally go beyond just like handing people a dollar or giving them like a sandwich or something like, no, Mm -hmm. like here now I could actually be a part of establishing and, and creating a foundation or being a part of helping to establish a foundation for them to get the help that they need, especially those that are trying to help themselves. That would then lead to permanent housing. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, yes, absolutely. So, yes, that's that's one of my main motivating factors uh, behind uh, being a part of Shelter for All Koreatown. And I love that, like you said, it's not a formal organization. No. They're just folks that care. They get together weekly. Yep. You can find them on Facebook. I know that they're on Facebook. That's how I found them. Yes. Someone liked or shared a post, and I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. Koreatown was where I first became aware of you know, this whole group of people, right? There's so many folks that I'm seeing and we're talking before we started recording about the brilliance yes. and things and just the the things that I've learned. There's a friend of mine that I keep running into now and I've been back in LA for about a year experiencing homelessness myself. Yes. And when I had an apartment there in Koreatown, this friend of mine, I used to let him come and stay with me on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I think he has housing now, but when we knew each other way back like 15, 18 years ago, mm-hmm. he didn't have housing. Yes. And there were multiple times where I let him come in and sleep on my floor. And I just remember that. And just him, like, I'll be walking down the street, caught in my own head, caught in my own problems, caught in my own surviving this mm-hmm. experience of homelessness. Yeah. And he'll just stop me and he'll just be like, hey, how are you? And he'll give me a hug. He's so excited to see me. Great. Um, 
And it just, it's interesting how it's kind of, it's, it's kind of flipped. Whereas I was the person that was encouraging him way back, (laughs) right? When he had first arrived in LA and didn't know anybody and was trying to kind of establish himself. And now here I am returning to LA and he's being an encouragement to me. Um, It really does come full circle, right? And like you said, some of us that were, were raised this way to help because I was certainly raised that way. Um, when I was young, I certainly didn't think I would ever be in this situation. As I got right. older, no I kind of felt that same kind of call that you have felt to be present with these folks. Mm. Um, and that's what's led me to do this work. But just the brilliance of just being there and going back to that that mental health conversation that I had with that woman in Koreatown. And just the amazing things, even the two guys that were with her. Yeah. Like the things they talked about, about what that would look like. Because I just... I know what I thought it would look like as a mental health advocate, but sure. I didn't know what they thought it would look like. Sure. And I'm not sleeping in a town. I've got my bags that I carry around with me everywhere. So I'm not in a stationary spot every day like they are. And just realizing how people who are experiencing home surviving homelessness, they already know what they need. They don't need an organization or somebody else to come in and expert them out right. and tell them everything that they need. They already know if someone would just listen to them. Right. You know, give me the chance. Give me the opportunities, the right. resources. Yeah. You know, um, and, and there's that argument from some folks, you know, like, oh, most of these people, they don't want to be helped. They don't want to be housed and blah, blah, blah. But that's only 15 percent. Yeah. That's only 15 percent of the whole, you know, and even in that 15 percent of those who might, quote unquote, refuse housing. How many of them are suffering mental illness? Right. And why? You know, how many of them had terrible experiences? maybe in a shelter, mm-hmm. you know, extreme violence, sexual assault, and so forth, you know, I wouldn't want to go back in those places either. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's another part of that 15%. And then you do indeed have those that have substance abuse problems. But how many of those that have substance abuse problems acquired that issue after they had already become homeless? Right. You see what I'm saying? Like just to get through the night, mm-hmm. just to make it through the night. You know what I'm saying? Yes, because even, you know, like even when it comes to like alcoholism or and so forth, you know, being drunk like that helps uh, give some cushioning to the sidewalk. You know, when you got to be out there, the problem is, you know, when you're out there so long that then it becomes uh, a serious habit. Mm -hmm. You see, you need it every night to get to sleep or for those that have. Uh, gotten housing when the habit comes with them because it was useful when they were out on the street because again it helped them to be able to sleep in their environment Mm -hmm. right and then getting into housing and then having the proper support to be able to uh, remedy Mm -hmm. themselves right and to be able to engage in a healthy manner so yeah man there's and then there's the other element of speaking to the homeless or those who had been homeless helping the homeless, you know, because who else better understands that condition than those that had to live it themselves? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like people who have been in prison or those that have been uh, to war on a battlefield. You know, you can you can share your experiences all you want with others. But really, the only people who truly get it that you can really talk to in an open and frank manner uh, are those that have lived in the same conditions as you. Mm -hmm. You see? Mm -hmm. So that's that's another uh, element, let's say, of uh, this situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that actually let me correct that. 
I know that addiction isn't just something that people who are sleeping outside deal with. Right. right. It's a dis- it's a disconnection issue, and we have a lot of disconnection rampant in our society. Uh, and I know lots of people that have housing that struggle. Yeah. So I don't think that's a I don't think that's an indicative, and I don't think mental health is indicative of people experiencing homelessness either. I think it's a situational thing for most people who are outside. And like you said, when you don't have someone to talk to or everybody ignores you because you have bags or because you haven't had a shower or whatever, Mm -hmm. you then go into this social isolation and that really does impact someone's mental state, right? Because they don't have anyone to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. You've been quarantined. You know, it's life becomes, it's like, uh, you're in this open air prison, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you're this inmate, um, only you're locked out. Right. <laughs> you're not locked in. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, there's there's multiple layers and understandings to this, you know? And, um, you know, it really helps to be able to, for myself at least, to have like an insider's view, you know, and that, you know, informs, you know, how I can approach, mm-hmm. you know, being of a greater service or benefit. Yeah, absolutely. So as we come to the end of this podcast, is there anything that you would share with the listeners maybe that they're looking to help or they're looking to be of service or they're looking to get involved in some way with doing this kind of work? What would you Mm -hmm. say to somebody that's maybe feeling their heart tugged by this and seeing folks outside? What would you suggest to them to do? Um, There's multiple layers of approach. Um, Physically, let's say you could reach out to, let's say, you know, where's your local church, mosque, temple, and so forth. What are they doing? Uh, If they're not doing anything at all, see what can get started, you know, to uh, generate um, offerings that can be put together to uh, help out the homeless in your community. Uh, Whether you have to go out and do some outreach to get it started, or if you want to go and become a part of something that already exists uh, through a group church a temple again, or um, organization. Uh, so that's something that they can do. Um, verbally, um, talk to them, you know, see what they need. You know, even if you don't have anything in particular, maybe there's information that you can offer. Find out where the soup lines are in your area, if there are any. Uh, find out where um, people could get clothing if they needed it. You know, so even if you don't have the time, let's say, to be a part of any group or organization, then maybe you, what you can offer is information to those who are around you to help them go and get the help that they need. You see? Uh, so that's another approach. Um, mentally, spiritually, um, through prayer, you know, if you if you still find that there's nothing that you could do for someone um, or maybe you have tried helping uh, someone that lives around you that's homeless, uh, and maybe they do suffer from some type of uh, disability, whether it be mental or otherwise, um, then put um, the power of prayer into work. You know, put your mantras to work. Put your meditation to work on their behalf. You know, dedicate the merit of your offerings and mantra and meditation to the liberation of that individual or individual's to their liberation from poverty, from homelessness, 
and into a state of uh, perfect wealth, prosperity, and abundance, and permanent housing, you see, dedicated to their joy and well-being. So there's always something that you can do. You know, there's like literally no excuse, regardless of whether you have the material means to go out and help and either join a group or be a part of some organization or whatever, or doing things solo, uh, all the way up to and including uh, incorporating your own spiritual practice to put, to put towards the benefit and the welfare and liberation of those that are suffering poverty and homelessness around you. Very well said, William. <laughs> Thanks. Very well said. <laughs> I am so happy that they suggested for you to be on this podcast. Right on. Uh, when I reached out to Shelter for All Koreatown, they suggested you, and I think they made a good choice. Thank you, Jane. Right on. Good Thank decision. You. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, before we started this podcast, we talked about some future podcasts Indeed. about um, just uh, what happens when people get housing and, and things like yes. that and what that looks like. And I really think it'd be great to have you back in the future and talk with you some more about some of those Absolutely. topics. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd be glad to. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, William. This thank has you, been Scott. great. Yeah. I'm Scott Clapson here on Real Good Stuff. We've been recording today at the A Million Drops Learning Center. Uh, you can find out more at amilliondrops.org. And special thank you to A Million Drops for this great recording space. And thank you to Sure Microphones for the impeccable sound quality. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This little light